All right. Praise God. We thank him uh, yet again for his goodness, for these opportunities. I don't know about you, but these have just really been some refreshing times to me in the Lord, being able to talk about uh, his, uh, his word and being able to cover it and really just deep dive into it because God's word really is the direction that we need. It's the sustenance that we need. It's the food, the spiritual man and spiritual woman that we have on the inside. Um, it's gotta be fed. We can't feed ourselves junk food. We can't neglect to be uh, to to feed ourselves, and but unfortunately, the food that we have to give ourselves that that that's not going to cut it. So we need that bread of heaven. We need God to feed us. So as we go through these lessons, you chew on it. Take the word in. Don't we don't want to just be hearers of the word? No, we want to be doers as well. We are back in First Samuel chapter seventeen, verse thirty-two been a wonderful lesson. The word of God starts us out as this. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, glory to God, and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. Amen. As always, may God have that blessing, add that blessing to the readers and, and the doers of the word of God. And, and that's so important, family, because you got to be, we have to be doers of the word. Listen, the day is, the, the day is far spent. There are not many hours left in the day. And I speak metaphorically, spiritually, because the timing and of, the, of the Lord's coming is at hand. We are nearer our salvation than we have ever been before. This is not the time, family, to be sidetracked on the things of this world. There are no shortage of things to get distracted on. And there are no shortage of issues that are qualified to blindside us and that have enough going on in them to keep us preoccupied. But we, family, must be sober and we must be vigilant. We have to have our mind on that star post in heaven, as they say. Got to have your mind on Jesus. Got to have that. Because if you don't have your mind on the Lord, I'm going to make it very plain. You are not going to make it. You're going to dry up. You're going to wither up along the way. But we serve a God who has absolutely everything. We have had a wonderful time in the word of God. Amen. Um, and we said last week um, that David was greeted immediately. When we get to our text here, David was greeted immediately with the intimidating voice of the enemy. Take a look at 1 Samuel. I want you to look at 17, and I want you to go to verses 22 and 23. 1 Samuel 17, 22 and 23, which says, and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up, amen, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name, out of the armies of the Philistine and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. So we said and talked about last week how um, if you take, if you go back prior to this, 
okay, to really kind of the start of the conflict in this uh, in this text that we're reading of this particular narrative. All right, then at the very beginning. Um, uh, Goliath gets busy. I mean, this man starts, I mean, he starts running his mouth and, 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 and breathing out all kinds of atrocities. Okay. And he, and I mean, I mean, and he is going at it and you read that when you go through the text, especially prior to uh, our, our scripture set, which begins in verse 32. Okay. You, you will see early on that David, that, uh, that the, that the Israelites had to endure or dealt with or came in contact with the message and the rhetoric of, of Goliath very early. Okay. When we get to our when we get to 1 Samuel 17, 22 and 23, those are the scriptures that I just read for you. You'll notice that at the end of that, okay, the Bible says the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistine, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. So one of the things that we talked about was how that how Goliath, before David got on the scene, okay, before he got on the scene, Goliath was already talking crazy. He was already out and about, and he was already just spreading his trash, just Every, any and everything that he could do to try to tear down and demoralize the, the children of God, he had already started that. And it was working. It was working. A lot of fear. A lot of fear. Because the Bible makes it very plain. That Saul, uh, it was, they were afraid of all of that. But he didn't just stop at the beginning. When David gets onto the scene, remember, David has been tasked by his father, Jesse, to take the provisions, right? So now David is there and David is, has the provisions, amen. David has already left the flock in the hands of someone that is qualified to look after them while he goes on this next journey or embarks on this next task, right? Where he's taking the work, where he's taking the provision to the people. And remember, we drew an analogy there, how our equivalent to that, taking the word of God, is what we do when we rightly divide the word of God. Amen. Second Timothy chapter two, verses 15 says, study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. What? Rightly dividing the word of truth. And we went all the way through verse to 19. I'm not going to do that right now. But we talked about that scripture. We brought that up because us being studying to show ourselves approved, staying in the word of God, allowing God to move on us, right? To direct our understanding, to direct our study. That allows us to divide the word of God. Now, a rightly divided word simply means that it is a word that is in the right amount and proportion to the person that actually needs it. Amen. When it is rightly divided, that means that the recipient whoever he is, whoever she is, when the word of God is rightly divided, the recipient is going to get his or her correct portion. Glory to God. Amen. I, 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 hope, you, I hope that just that blesses you because I know that it blesses me. A rightly divided word means that the recipient gets their correct, their correct portion. They don't get lesser. They don't get more than they can handle. And they certainly don't get less than they need they get their correct portion. Amen. That's a spiritual analogy or equivalency, so to speak, that we brought in to, as to compare or to contrast against what, what David was doing when David took the provisions that Jesse gave him, right? And he took those and gave them and brought them to his brothers and to the captain. God, the word comes from God. The provisions that David used came from his father, okay? The word comes from our father, God Almighty. David was tasked with taking the word to his brethren and to the captain. Amen. 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 I'm drawing analogies here. I want you to understand that. He took the word to his brethren. That's his immediate family. And then he also took it to the captain. That's what the Bible says. The captain 
was a, yes, he's an Israelite, but I'm drawing an analogy. So I want you to just work with me here. Okay. Use your spiritual imagination and, 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 and go with me here. The provision David brought were for his family, those who were his immediate family, but it was also for those who were not his immediate family. Glory to God. They were not. He brought it for the captain as well. Now, I want you to understand something. He did not take to his brethren provisions that were different, so to speak, than the provisions that he was tasked with giving to the captain. <laughs> Glory to God. They got all of them the same provision. So now let me draw, let me tie that up. In the spiritual sense, God gives us his word. That's the provision. And God is our father. He gives us the word. The word is the provision. The provision that David took was to be given to his immediate family, and it was also to be given to the captain. The word of God is not just for your family, amen, but it is for this world as well. The word of God will save Jew and Gentile alike. Glory to God. We serve a wonderful God. We serve a wonderful God. And so when the word is rightly divided, as we are instructed in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, that is the spiritual equivalent of us taking the word of God, dividing it up into the correct amounts and portions depending upon who it is we are dealing with, who we are ministering to, and giving them the proportion, or the portion rather, that is necessary, that they require, and that they can handle. Not too much, so that it overwhelms them. And not so little, that they don't have enough to motivate them to make those changes and to hold on to and to inspire faith. See, when the word of God is shared, family, you can do too much or you can do too little. You want to do what is going to be necessary. So you want to hit the sweet spot. The sweet spot is the word that is rightly divided. Because if you give a person too much, then they will look at the word of God and begin to say, this is so daunting. This is so much. I'll never measure up. I can never get this right. I might as well not even try. It's so much. I don't even know where to start. See, that's what happens when you overrun. If you, if you constantly give a person more than what they can handle. But if you give them too little, then that same person comes away with, no conviction, no motivation to make changes. No, because we, and when we give too little, we stroke their ego. We allow men and women to be complacent with sin. When we give too little, we don't call unrighteousness unrighteousness. When we, do give, when we give too little, we wink at sin. We allow things that should not go on to go on. So there's a danger you don't want to give too little so that a person feels comfortable and unmoved in, in, and unmotivated to reach from God, to, to reach for God. And you don't want to give them too much to where they feel like, man, what's the use in even trying? So the way that you do that is, is that you got to be in tune with the Holy Ghost. You got to be led by the Spirit of God. You can't just study the Word of God on your own talking about, well, I'm going to put together this, this uh, presentation or whatever that's going to, no, you got to be led by the spirit. You got to take, I have to take that person's, whatever it is that I know, and I got to go into prayer about them. I got to go into prayer over them. And I got to ask God for a word. And I can't just ask God for a word. Sometimes I got to ask God for a word every time, no matter who it is. God, I need you to speak because see, here's the thing. If you just get me, you're going to be messed up. But if you get God, you're going to be fixed up. You're going to be okay because God is, because if your heart is broken, well, he's the mender of broken hearts. He knows what to do. He knows what to say. 
If you're lost, he's the finder of lost things. Amen. Amen. He is the good shepherd, the one who leaves the 99 to go after the one. Amen. Now, David took the proportion, took the, took the provision. As soon as he get there, man, he got to contend with, with Goliath's voice. The enemy didn't take a day off. Look, but he didn't take a break. He, the enemy started out before David got there. He was already running his mouth and he was already intimidating the children of God. He was already intimidating Saul and the rest of the, the army. And the Bible tells us in in First Samuel seventeen, uh, in that B portion of twenty three, that he was still talking. The Bible says he and spake according to the same words that and David heard him. The difference was was that David was there to hear it this time. Amen. So David was greeted immediately with the intimidating voice of the enemy, and the enemy will always try to take the word that is our confidence, the very word of God, family. That is our confidence. The enemy is going to always try to take, uh, take that word. That is our confidence and our trust. He's going to try to take that away from us. And he's going to try to do that before we even get started. And you can look at verse uh, Mark chapter 4 and verse 15, and I invite you to read that. that, that, that you, this, because that word that, 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 that Mark talks about, that Satan comes to take immediately, is the word that fell by the wayside. Okay. Now the wayside is where all of us were at one point. Before we got on the road, we were on the wayside. That means we were living our own way, doing our own thing, seeking our own way and seeking our own thing. And the word of God came because God sent the word, the word to everybody. Remember John 3, 16, God so loved the world, what? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should what not perish but should have everlasting life god loved the world so much that he made jesus available he made himself jesus and god are one and the same amen okay he made himself available to everybody amen amen he made his word available to everybody so when by making his word available to everybody, that means he made it available to us wherever we were. So whether we were in the crack house, whether we were, you know, listen, whether we were in a bar, whether we were, you know what I'm saying, in the raw, listen, doesn't matter where we were. Whether we were in, 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 in somebody's house, whether we were in some other building, it does God, um, God made the word available to all of us. Whether we were in the midst of adultery, whether we were in the midst of fornication, whether we were in the midst of disobedience, it does not matter. Listen, you can plug and play whatever the sin is. The word of God has always been made available to us wherever we were to pull us out of the gutter and out of the alley and pull us out of the trash can and to put us right back where we're supposed to be. Amen. God have always made his word available to you. God ain't never made you and I work to get his word. No. Freely has this word been given. My goodness, God came to see about you. Right where you were. In the middle of that conversation that was going all the way sideways, God came to see about you. In the middle of that circumstance that was so pressing and so dire, And by all accounts, to some, it was probably the worst of the worst situation. When you were at your lowest, when you were at your furthest distance away from God, when you were unable to do anything, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Amen. That word came to see you, came to get you. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word what was God. So when we say that, when we talking about, when we say Jesus came to get you, man, we are saying that word came to get you. God is his, God can't be separated from his word. God is his word. Listen, he's a God of his word. The word is who he is through and through. And he came 
to see about you. See, it was the goal and the intent of the enemy to demoralize and to intimidate. And this same thing happened even with Paul. Before he was the apostle Paul, he was Saul, and he was an adversary of the church. And if you, when you get some time, I want you to read Acts chapter nine and start reading verse one. You're going to read about Saul before his name was changed to Paul. Bible says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Don't that sound like the foolishness that Goliath was doing? It's the exact same thing. And as I said, I mentioned last week that that even that alone is inspiring. See, Goliath was not to be redeemed. He would not be, the Goliath wasn't going to get a clue. No, he wasn't going to get a clue at all. But Saul was also doing the same thing in his own way, breathing out Saul, bringing, bringing out threatenings and slaughter. But God saved Paul. God turned him around. Some people, here's the thing. This is why you don't stop praying for people. No matter how dark and how dingy and how desperate the situation is, there are people that don't, that to your, by all accounts, you will not see how they can be saved. You will not see how they can get over and how they, but listen, salvation is of the Lord. It's not your business. When the Bible teaches us that salvation is of the Lord, what we are learning is, is that saving is the business of God. It is what he does. But God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He don't ask you if you agree with it, if they're worthy of it. No, it's God's will that all men would be saved. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He knows that they are, but he still don't want it. And so he still makes the word of God available. He makes it available to the man. Listen, you don't, it's hard to, for people to hear. But even to the man that has committed murder and all of these atrocities and is locked up, God still makes the word available to even them. Now they have made decisions and, and those decisions have natural consequences. So they, they so they, yeah, they might be one and done, but God still goes after the soul. And you and I better be glad that he goes after the soul because our actions always. One scripture says, my sins testify against me. Our sins, our unrighteousness, our wickedness testifies against us. What does it mean? It means the actions that God got me on tape, because God see it all. God, I'm caught red-handed. Hear what I'm telling you. I have been caught red-handed by God. Doing all the wrong stuff. And so have you. God got that on tape. And you need to understand, and all that evidence, oh, it is admissible. Ain't none of that getting thrown out. The God of heaven and earth make all the rules. And my goodness, he's going to line it up against you. Just like he's going to line it up against me if I don't do what he says do. Because sin, family, is only ever dealt with in one of two ways. It, is, it must either be remitted. That means it must be forgiven or pardoned. Or it must be paid for in full. You can have your sins remitted. You can, have, you can be forgiven today. Because the God of heaven and earth, who cannot die and cannot lie, created and prepared a body for himself, a body that could die. And he sacrificed it for you and for me. Yeah, he created that body, stepped into that body, and then he came and dwelt among us. One of the titles, one of the names of God is Emmanuel. My goodness, God with us. Put on that body and he came to dwell with us. Teaching us the right way, showing us the right way. Demonstrating what he wanted us to do. And then he went to that old rugged cross. They called the hill Golgotha, place of the skull also known as Calvary. I'm told, I'm told they hung him high and they stretched him wide. They put those nails in his hands and in his feet. They hung him up there. 
mocked him and all of these different things. And even before that, the beating, the scourging, the bruising, the whipping, all of these things. Yeah, I know Resurrection Sunday was, huh, was last Sunday, but my goodness, it's always good to be reminded about the resurrection because it's by that that we even have this opportunity, that we have salvation because somebody did what you and I could not do. The Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, and he went and took that body and he sacrificed that body, laid it down. I love the word of God. He said, Let no man take my life, but I lay it down. You're not taking anything from me. He said, I lay it down. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I got the power to take it up again. And three days later, he took it up. He took it up. Three days later, he took it up. My goodness, three days later, we had the story culminate with resurrection ground. And it's because of that that we have an opportunity. That's why the word of God keeps going out. And though Mark 4 and 15 talks about the word of God that Satan steals from people that have fell on the wayside. That's because people own the wayside. They want heaven, but they want earth too. You got to choose. Because as long as you caught up wanting that earth, the riches and the pleasure and all of these different things, you're really asking for hell because that's what you're going to get. And that's not what God wants for you. Glory to God. Do you not know that he got a mansion that's not made by hands? Why you want to trade your tomorrow for today? For just a few more moments of today. Don't do that. I'm trying to tell you that the world and everything that it offers it can't compare. I feel that stirring in my soul. And I need you to know that what this world has to offer can never compare. Don't trade your soul. Don't trade your eternity. Don't trade your tomorrow. Listen, God has determined to give you a tomorrow and you're going to get it. One way or another. The, the question is, is either you're going to get that tomorrow in heaven or you're going to get that tomorrow in hell, but you're going to get tomorrow. You're going to get that. There will be a tomorrow for you. There most certainly, it might not necessarily be a tomorrow on this side, but it's going to be a tomorrow. You will always have a tomorrow. But the question is, where is that tomorrow going to be? Make sure you got that answer. Make sure you got that answer. The enemy wanted to demoralize and intimidate, and that's what he always does. The, the devil's going to do what the devil's going to do. Now, and the reason why is, is because the decisive battles are often won and lost first in the mind and in the heart. So well before any shots are fired and uh, any swords are swung or any staves are poked, or it doesn't matter, whatever you want to call it, before all of that, most success, most defeat is a product of the mind. Proverbs 23, mind and that heart, that way of thinking. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's the A portion. Where your mind goes, where your folk, your, listen, where, where your eyes go, your mind goes. Where your mind goes, your heart goes. Where your heart is determines where you ultimately go. I hope that makes sense. Where your eyes go, your mind goes. Where your mind goes, your heart goes. Where your heart is determines where ultimately you go. So you better make sure that you are looking at the right thing, being motivated and encouraged to think about the right thing. So that in your heart, you develop desires to do the right thing. Because if you do the right thing, you're going to do right by God. 
because what God has to say, that is the right thing. Amen. Amen. Now you, you do, you, know, you, you do something different, then you're going to get something different and you're not going to like that. And you don't want that. Now it must've been shocking to David to find that the, in, that in the face of the enemy's rhetoric and in his, with his, all his intimidation tactics, you know, trying to intimidate the soldiers of the most high God, it, it had to have been a little bit jarring. I, I would imagine for David to, to, to determine and to see that the, that the armies of God of the most high God, seemingly have forgotten who they were and we see that in first samuel 17 look at 24 through 26 and all the men of israel when they saw the man fled i told you they were afraid fled from him and were sore afraid and the men of israel said have you seen this man seen this man that is come up surely to defy israel is he come up and it shall be to that man who killeth him the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house uh, free in Israel. That means he'll go on no taxes and none of that kind of stuff. And David spake to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man with that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For whom is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, this is always interesting to me because they clearly are afraid. They, 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 this the, the Goliath comes out talking all his junk and they get, I mean, and they just get terrified. They, they, they get, they get terrified. Notice that. And they're like, have you seen this man? Have you seen this? They, so they're like, my, they couldn't, that mean they couldn't, they were in a state of disbelief. And what was interesting is, is that notice how they went right into talking about all of the rewards, all of the good thing, all of the stuff that's going to happen if they somehow conquer this mountain. If they somehow overcome this obstacle, they talk, listen, how, they, they were clearly afraid. They were terrified. And they went right into talking about all of these good things that would happen if they overcome the obstacle that was Goliath. But did you notice that none of them volunteered? <laughs> none of them. They was afraid and they knew there was some good on the other side. You could do this. But not even the thought of the reward was strong enough to motivate them to step up to the challenge. Some of us reside right there. That is a problem for us. Life has made you afraid. Situation, circumstances have made you afraid. Obstacles look insurmountable, and it seems like the task just simply cannot be done. It, for all intents and purposes, it seems to be beyond your reach and beyond your capability. Yet in your mind, you know that if, if it were possible, if you did overcome it, there are some mighty good things just over yonder, just on the other side, just beyond that horizon. If you can get past that right there, that hardship, that difficulty, maybe it's an addiction. Feeling like you can't, you're never going to get through. You're never going to get past it. You can remember when you started. You can remember all of the things that led to whatever that addiction was. Trying to beat depression or trying to be low self-esteem. Addicted to this, addicted to that. Afraid of this, needed to take the edge off of that. All of the different things, plug and play. You come up with the reason, they all fit. All of these reasons. And so in order to, that, that, that had you running scared, that brought that 
fear. Yet the word of God teaches us God has not given us the spirit of fear. But of love and of power and of a sound mind. Yet it's still something got us running scared. Life got us running scared, some of us. And so in order to deal with life, to take the edge off of life, we took up less than reputable activities. We took up tasks and things to ourselves that we really should not have under any circumstance. And these things that we thought we could control ended up controlling us as sin always does, takes a life of its own. It always starts out with something as something you can manage. But then all, of, all and it always ends with us realizing that we just weren't the one that could manage it. Because you must understand, sin is like a fire that burns out of, that is burning out of control. You cannot control it. It's already out of control. See, before you even start with it, I submit to you that that inferno is already raging. You don't, you just don't see all of it. You've just seen a few flickers of the flame coming underneath the door. And you entertain the idea that you can put it out, you can stamp it out. It's just a few flickers, so to speak. But you have no idea that behind that door is a raging inferno that will engulf and consume everything as soon as it makes its way through the door. And the nature of fire, although at first you see it just coming under the door, you entertain it long enough. Oh, it won't need you to open the door. It will consume the door because that is what fire does. It consumes. And that little fleeting barrier that you got in place that you think is going to protect you and, and is going to allow you to control those desires and those things that are quick, that are getting out of control. Listen, you have got to confess your sins. You got to repent of all that. You've got to be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You have got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the only way to put the fire out. And that ain't you putting the fire out. That's him putting the fire out. That's God putting the fire out. But as long as you keep entertaining it, you can do it. Mm, that fire is going to break through them doors. It's going to consume it. And before you know it, it's going to start to consume you. That's what it, that's what it does. And the enemy wants you to entertain the idea that you can somehow beat the odds. But before you know it, you find out that you can't and the addiction lays hold and lays siege to you. And now you're stuck. Now you're afraid and so all of a sudden, you know that this is not what you should be doing. You know that this is not right because God has given every man light. So he's given everybody a conscience. So you know the difference between right and wrong. So he's given you that knowledge. And now though you're, and while you're in the, you are in the addiction, you also know that it's the wrong thing. You know, it's not where you need to be. You know, it's not where God wants you to be. You know it. But the strength of the addiction is so hard. You having a hard time beating it. You having a hard time letting go. Even though you know, this is the equivalent of what they, of what the children, of what the, the, the Israelites were doing. Here comes, the, here comes Goliath, right? And he, and he brings utter fear and terror to these guys. They are afraid. They're like, have you seen this man? Yet they could all tell you about the good that would come if any one of them was able to rise to the occasion and overcome it. Yet not one of them volunteered. You don't read about that. And so it is with us, with those, those addictions and all those different things. We, if something comes, makes us afraid. We try to overcome the fear. What we use to overcome becomes an addiction. Now we don't know how to stop, but we know we need to stop. We know we need to stop. 
but we don't know how. And though we know it so much, just like they knew that there was many rewards on the other side of some of stepping up, none of them chose to step up. And so it is with many of us. We know that being addicted to anything that is ungodly is not what God wants for us. And it is not what we want for ourselves. We know that there is better and we know that there is more. But like the children of Israel, none of them volunteered. We don't do it. We say, I'll never get, we, we, we entertain. That is just too hard. Or we start and we try to deal with it. And because we meet difficulties and trying to overcome the addiction or whatever it may be, we say, there's no need in trying. So we stop. But there is a God, the only true and living God, who beats all of the odds, breaks every chain, every yoke, every addiction. And if you're listening, I don't really care what the addiction is. It doesn't really matter. And it doesn't matter how long. I want you to get in view the other side of that addiction. I want you to entertain. I want you to imagine what that looks like. I want you to get a good, solid picture of what the other side of that addiction looks like. Once you get that picture there, see yourself on the other side of that. What does that look like? Imagine what it would be without all of that. You didn't, where you didn't need that addiction in the first place to try to overcome what you used it for. No, get that in your mind. And when you have that in your mind, then I want you to do something else. Because this is not accomplished by willpower. Nope, no, no, no. Overcoming addiction is not something that you simply do by strength of will alone. Uh-uh. Jesus is the breaker of all chains. What that addiction, whatever it is, I want you to take it. And instead of you just trying to do it, I want you to take it and put it in God's hand. And you're going to say, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I am stuck. I am lost. And I am struggling with this. Whatever it is, whether it's an addiction, doesn't matter what it is, what it could be anything you're struggling with, anything that you're struggling with. And I want you to say, God, I'm giving this to you. But I want you to understand something. When you give that to God, when you give an addiction or anything else that you are to God, you're not just giving that thing, but you also have to give your effort. Because it does not mean that there will not be steps and things, practical things that you have to physically do or do in the natural. Doesn't mean that you will more than likely have to do some things. But what you need is divine strength to do those things. So when you take an addiction, a problem, whatever it is, you take not just the problem, but you take your effort your human ability, and you got to give that to God as well. And you've got to ask God to breathe on. He said, Lord, I am giving you this, but I'm, and I'm giving you my strength. I'm giving you I'm everything that I have. Because when I do it on my own, I can't do it. I need you, oh God, to breathe on my effort, to breathe on the things that I can do. So that I'm strengthened to what? Resist. I'm strengthened to walk in righteousness. I'm strengthened to take up the good habits. To replace a bad habit, family, it can only be done by putting in place a good habit. You need another habit to replace a habit. 
if what you do when is wrong, you've got to substitute it with something right. The Bible says learn to do good. You need another habit, which means that you need, you are in need, I am in need of beginning to walk the walk of obedience to what the word of God. I'm simply telling you, you now got to start doing what the word of God tells you. Practical example. If part of your addiction, it, uh, always you find that your part of your addiction seems to manifest every time you hang around XYZ, well, guess what? You need to stop hanging around XYZ. You're going to have to get away from it. The Bible says, make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The Bible tells that in the book of Romans. That simply means you can't plan to fail. That means that the things that you are struggling with, if you want to get over it, one thing that you're going to have to do is you have to change the environment. You cannot go to the places and be in the vicinity of the things. Hello. that you are weak to or that you have a problem with. You don't be able to do that. So you've got, Lord, I need you to restrict in my resolve. Now, obviously, you go with these people or go to these places because there's perhaps some sense of camaraderie. So that means that obviously there's a need for that camaraderie. Does beating it mean that I can't have no No, it doesn't mean you can't have no camaraderie. It just means that you need, it just means that you got the wrong comrade. And it means that you got to now go and get with a different group. You got to change the caliber of people that you're hanging around. Most people many times don't become who, many times people don't become more often than not, I would say. People Without strong resolve, they don't become who they want to be. They, most people tend to become who they hang around. And whoever you hang around with, whatever you hang around with, whether you hang around, it does not matter. You keep hanging around the devil, you're going to be just like the devil. And you're going to be in hell with the devil. That's just a practical example. But there are many different things and factors that go into our addiction. God is greater than them all. That's what the Holy Ghost does. He breaks all those chains. Chains, he breaks all of that. But he gives you a part to do. He don't just do it. He gives you a task to do. You have to walk. He gives you the strength and the power to overcome it, but you have to use that strength. You have to walk in that. You have to do your part. And so when I pray and I bring this problem to God, I'm also not just bringing that as if God just take this and do, no, I'm also bringing my broken and half-hearted effort that, you know, the one that kind of conks out once I get midway into doing it and I start saying, oh man, this is too tough and it's too tired. I'm just going to give in. No, God has to make you strong and that's what he'll do. Amen. Amen really felt God just wanting us to talk about that. And I pray that whenever you hear this, whoever you are, and whenever you hear this, that that will bless you. Because God's trying to pull you out of some stuff, give you a life and a future, a better way. But as the Bible says, the dog has turned back to his vomit. You keep going back to the same stuff. I keep going back to the same stuff. Those same things have to be taken off the table. And you need the strength of God to do that. And he's willing to help you with that. The voice of the enemy will always be effective against those who forget who they are and whose 
they are. Because it's going to happen. When you forget who you are in the Lord, you forget who you have access to, which is the Lord. When you forget who you are in the Lord, you'll also tend to forget what you have access to. And that's victory. We have victory in the Lord. When you forget who you are in the Lord, you also forget what you are able to do in the Lord. You're able to win. See, God is victory. And in him, you can have that victory. When we forget who we are in the Lord, because the enemy is talking all of his trash, all of this smoke and all we're trying to consider. When that happens, we can find ourselves being afraid of the voice of the enemy. That's what Saul was in 1 Samuel 17 and 11. Take a look at it. He was afraid of that. When we forget who we are in the Lord, then like Saul, not only will we find ourselves afraid of the voice of the enemy, but we'll find ourselves even championing the might, supposed might of the enemy, heralding the enemy's accomplishments and exploits and, and his resume. That's what happened in 1 Samuel 17, 31 through 33. Proverbs 18, 21. Love it. Bible says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. See, when you forget who you are, like Saul, Saul spent more, more time talking about what the enemy could do than talking about what the most high God can do. We follow pattern every time when we do the same thing, it happens to us. We start talking about this is so this, and this is so that, and this is going to be a problem. And this, and if that don't work, and if all, in other words, I mean, glass half empty. But you serve the creator of heaven and earth. How can the glass be half empty? I mean, listen, seriously? How is the glass half empty when we're talking about the, the owner of what the glass is even made out of, the sand that is melted down and processed into glass? God, Bible said on the cattle of a thousand hills, he got it all. And how dare I? Belittle the most high God by, in my mind, restricting his ability to being limited by the mere efforts of man. <laughs> God is greater than you. God is greater than me, beyond you and me, and can give us strength to do what we normally cannot do. Amen. When we forget who we are in the Lord, then like Saul, instead of expressing our faith in the flawless battle record of God, the Almighty, and, and instead of glorifying our unstoppable God and our Savior, our, who, is, who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Need I remind you, he has never lost a battle. And he's not getting ready to start losing anything. Who are we? Romans 8.37 tells us that we're more than conquerors. Who are we? Deuteronomy 28.13 tells us that we are the head and not the tail. As long as we are obedient and obey God's word. Who are we? Philippians 4.13 says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We're trailblazers, all of these things. We, 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 we're able to get things done because of who he is. But who do we belong to? Whose are we? Romans 38, 30, 39, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me, separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 31. For what shall I say unto these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? 
Job 42, verse number two. I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Whose are we? We belong to the most high God. Amen. David said, let no man's heart fail because of him. First Samuel 17, 32. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Goliath stood as an enemy against Saul and all of Israel. That is very plain from the scripture that we, scripture text that we've gone through. He stood as an opposite, as just the straight up opposition. He stood as the opponent to both the king and his soldiers. That's what Goliath did, the enemy. He stood, he, that's the role he took up. It was unto men of great or distinguished titles. It was to these type of men that Goliath directly opposed and challenged. He didn't care about their pedigree. He didn't care about where they come from. He stood and he opposed them. Men arguably of greater name and renown than that of the name of a simple young man who stopped by at his father's request to check in on his brothers and to drop off some lunch. Men of greater name, greater titles at the time, arguably, than that of this young man who was just stopping by, just following his dad's direction. These were the men that Goliath challenged. The ones who wanted to be great, the ones who, who, who had all the title, the one who had all the accolades, those were the ones that Goliath challenged. He didn't care. Came after him with everything that he could. Yet, it was that simple young man, this king in waiting by anointing, a psalmist by calling, a musician by talent, a shepherd by divine appointment, but a servant by choice. It was this young man who was just passing through that arose to meet the challenge of the enemy head on. David said in 1 Samuel 17 and 32, and I'm going to end it with here, and we'll finish this up next week. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Notice these next words. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. thy servant a servant stood up when those with the titles those with the pedigree those with the resume were in fear and clueless the young man with no name as far as titles are concerned. Underneath he was a king. Underneath he was a psalmist. Underneath he's a musician. Underneath he was a shepherd. But on the outside and in this moment, 
what he chose to be was a servant. Are you a servant today? God bless you. We will pick up next week and we will continue on. Wow.